Requesting connection. Established. Encrypted. We're live. The show you've been asking for. Advice, technology, and community. Linux first, all others second. This is Ask Noah. Live from Multispeed Technologies, the show that puts you, the listener, in the driver's seat because you are the content. The phone lines are open to be a part of the program. It's a free call. 1-855-450-NOAH. That's 1-855-450-6624. But give me a call. We'll have a conversation about your tech questions or business insight questions. Linux advocate, above all else, small business owner, and now host of the only radio show centered around you, the listener. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. My name is Noah Chief. So good evening to you all. Happy to be here with you. Another episode of the Ask Noah Show kicking off this hour. Phone lines are stacking up. Uh, like I said in the intro... Free phone call, 855-450-NOAA. That's 855-450-6624. Make your voice heard because we're going to be talking about net neutrality tonight. And uh, I'm going to try and give you a slightly different take because I think the entire internet has kind of like gone one direction and given you one point of view. And I think it's a valid point of view. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that point of view. And I also think that it is always valuable anytime you have both sides of a discussion. So Open phones, 855-450-6624. If you don't agree with me, call me up tell me why. Uh, let's go to the phones. We'll start out with Michael from Ohio. Uh, and I'm waiting for that thing to come up. There we go. Hey, Michael, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hi, Noah. Hey. Uh, not sure if this has anything to do with net neutrality, but uh, I'm, uh, I'm in need of a uh, security video system, and I'd like to know what your recommendations are for... Uh, IP cameras that I can use with Linux. Sure. Give me. Uh, get, let's let's talk a little bit about what your requirements are. Where are you putting them? Is it in your home? Is it in a business? How many cameras do you need? That kind of thing. Uh, just something to cover my uh, my driveway, maybe the front door, a view of the street, and uh, I think I need to catch some of my kids sneaking stuff out of the fridge. So an indoor camera as well. Ah, yes, the uh, the magic fridge that gets raided in the middle of the night. We have the we don't have the I don't have that problem with my fridge. I do have that problem with my pantry. I actually ended up putting a, an access control system on our pantry so that our, our kids can't can't sneak snacks out of there. Um, so I guess the first question is what what makes you want to go IP? Well, uh, the only other choice, as I understand, it, would be uh, hard wiring, and I don't know that I. I can necessarily run all the wires that would need to be run. Mm, okay. So you're obviously, well, okay. So you're thinking of doing wireless IP cameras? Right, Wi-Fi. Sorry, yeah. I got you. Okay, all right. So let's uh, let's break this down. So first of all, um, there obviously there's the obvious choice. There's the cloud solution. There's the drop cam, the, the, the Netgear, uh, you know, Send your video up to the cloud, let people analyze it. Who knows who might be snooping on you, but maybe nobody cares. Um, and, you know, for $80, $90 per camera, you can throw those in. Connect them to your Wi-Fi, and there you go. You're off to the races. Obviously, that's not a solution I would recommend. I don't think it's a good idea, and I don't think it's, I don't think it's a safe right, thing. I'm calling you because you hate the cloud. Right, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not what I would do. But I, if I don't mention it, if I don't say that, then somebody's going to say, well, you could have told them about drop cams. You're just biased. So you don't, you know. So, uh, but no, you're right. I, I wouldn't go that route. Not what I would do. There are, when you look at IP cameras, whether it be wireless or wired, there are a couple things to consider. So first is if you care about interoperability, that is you want to be able to buy some cameras from TP-Link, other cameras from Netgear, some from, you know, uh, 
can't think of another manufacturer off the top of my head, but <clears throat> if you want to, if you want that interoperability, you have to look for a standard that is supported between all those cameras. The most prolific standard okay. is the ONVIF standard. Uh, it's an, an open industry standard that it, that that sets forth a standard for IP-based cameras and IP-based security systems. Now, the in in principle, in theory, having a standard <clears throat> like we have the TCP/IP standard or the UDP/IP standard, in theory, we should be able to multiple manufacturers should be able to make a bunch of different things and put them together and you should be able to just mix and match and everything should work peachy keen like in practice however i've rarely found that to work uh well usually it requires at a bare minimum you spend time tweaking with things and monkeying with things and kind of fixing things and trying to, to, to get all the little pieces to work together so if you want a if you want the most robust uh expandable um, open system that doesn't lock you to any manufacturer and that you can literally buy the DVR from one company and the cameras from another company and, and you want to do all of that, then look for a camera that supports the ONVIF standard. Any camera, <clears throat> and again, it's, it's kind of a crapshoot. My, my go-to ones are usually the ones from TP-Link. I've had better luck with those than some of the others. Um, so that's one option. If I woke up in your shoes, okay. if I woke up in your shoes, I would look at uh, at I would what I would install what I what I do install what we do install is the Unify camera system. Now, <clears throat> the downside to the Unify camera system is you have to buy the cameras from Ubiquity and you have to buy the DV. Uh, that's not true. That's not true. I'll, I'll I'll go back and explain. So you have to buy all of the stuff from that one company, and if that one company ever goes out of business, um, th th it doesn't rely on the cloud or any cloud service, so the system will still work. <clears throat> Excuse me. But it, it, but it, you are locked to that company, and you can never buy. If some other company comes out with a great camera, it will never, to the best of our knowledge, anyway, will never work with the with the ubiquity system. So that that's a huge downfall. Here is the upside, though, because the cameras are designed by one company, because the controller is designed by one company, the interoper the um, the 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 feature set is phenomenal. When you plug a Unify camera in, it automatically gets discovered by the controller. You can tell it, I want you to split. I want you to record 30 frames per second. I want you to stream this camera out to YouTube. I want you to record only when there's motion. I want you to record the outside cameras, but not the inside cameras. I want to be able to pull it up on my mobile app. I only want to be able to access it on my local LAN unless I have VPN. I don't want it actually going out to the cloud. All of those things uh, Unify is capable of. It's an incredibly professional, robust system. They do offer a number of different cameras. They offer the standard bullet-type cameras, um, both in an indoor and outdoor version. Um, they offer Wi-Fi cameras. They offer hardwired cameras. The hardwired cameras are really neat because they are, are run over PoE. So you can power the camera and get data to the camera over power over Ethernet, which is really, really fantastic. And a lot of people... Nice. And a lot of people... Do, do you have a basement in your house? I do, yes. Is it finished? No, no, it's not finished. So running wire inside of an unfinished basement is like uh, cake. It is exceedingly easy to do. Uh, and so what you can do, <clears throat> you can go find where the stud, in, in between the studs, and, and basically just take, we call it a flex bit. I, I don't know if there's a, there's a more appropriate term, but it's basically like a, a five inch or a five foot steel rod. And at the very end of it, it has like a, like a, a inch and seven eighths uh, bit on it. And so what you can do is you put that in your drill and you can drill through the, um, 
you can drill through the the uh, the um, the top plate of your of your of your uh, Western construction house, and you can drill in between the studs, drill through the top plate, and then you have a little channel to run Cat Five up. And so what I do, what we do in houses, if we're going to go do uh, an already constructed house, what we'll do is we will drill two uh, two inch holes from the basement inside of the whatever you want to call it, control room, laundry room, electrical room, whatever, and we'll shoot those all the way up into the attic. And then what you can do from there is now you have two big pieces of conduit and you can start running Cat 5, Cat 6 up into the attic and then you can just drop Cat 5 or Cat 6 anywhere you want. Uh, so if you want to put a, a, a camera on the ceiling that faces your fridge, it becomes super trivial. Just to, I mean, you don't even need a, a tool. You could literally just take a like a butter knife and, and poke a hole and stick the Cat 5 cable through it, plug it into your camera, and then you could do a hardwired camera situation. And if I was doing it in my house, that's probably what I would do because I like hardwired connections. But Unify, we've done Wi-Fi installations. They work phenomenally. Now, let me tell you, let me back up and tell you why I was not completely accurate when I said that, you have, that everything you had to buy their controller. <clears throat> it's true that the controller has okay. to be made by Ubiquity. However, Ubiquity is one of the most friendly companies towards Linux, and they actually have a uh, distro that you download, and you can put it onto any computer and and run it there. Uh, and so you can actually run that controller software on any Linux computer or a virtual machine. Oh, see, now that, that is nice. So the the cost investment, if you got a spare machine, the co- total cost investment to get started with this thing, you know, you're looking at like 150 bucks for the well, camera. I've, I've, got a, I've got a machine with a large amount of storage and a large amount of memory. Yeah. It would be ideal to have something that I could do on that machine rather than buying a separate appliance. Yes. So I like the idea of having a VM. Yeah, and there's two ways you can do it. One is you could run it in a VM. Well, I've seen customers do this. I, I don't do it because I'm, I'm really, really... OCD. I mean, it's, it, my OCD is just, it's really terrible, but uh, I like everything compartmentalized and in its own separate machine. However, the the controlling software runs in the background as a service, so you could totally install it just right on the metal, and I doubt you'd ever notice it was running in the background. <clears throat> then, of course, you can pull the application up and you can you can view all of your stuff. Now, here's one of the reasons, I'll just, I'll just walk you through this. So, th- does that answer your question? Uh... It does. Uh, what, what about cost? I mean, are we talking, is this twice as much as other solutions, or is it half as much? Where does it stand on the spectrum with Ubiquity? Yeah, sure. So let's look up the exact uh, the exact price. I think it's like 150 bucks per camera. Do, 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 let's see here. Uh, um, yeah, let's see here. Be Ubiquity. Camera. Sorry, I didn't have this pulled up. Uh, okay, so the wireless camera. It looks like they're selling for one twenty nine on Amazon, or you can get a three pack for six forty five. So I, I can't do the math. Oh, five pack, five See, pack. I'm sorry, fantastic. five pack. That five is pack. right in line with other solutions. Yeah, and and so, and I'm telling you, like as far as quality goes, there's just nothing better. I mean, they literally and and we've installed we've installed Nuvico, we've installed the little cheap Chinese uh, camera things or whatever. I, I've done them all. I've we've done the the really really big and expensive. Uh, uh, I can't think of the the, the name. They they ship those like for you uh, for you machines, but but th- those things are they're incredibly powerful, but they're also very very expensive, and so and so yeah. But I, but the the Unify does everything those big expensive systems does except it's a fraction of the cost, which really is kind of ubiquitous model because that's kind of what they did with Wi-Fi back in the day. They took HP and Cisco and they took them to task and said, no, you don't need a Ruckus is a great example. You know, it's $900 for a Ruckus controller. The Unify controller, the cloud key, I think is 95 bucks. So, and the quality is, I mean, I've competed with Ruckus. We've outperformed Ruckus. 
Does but but anyway, before I go on, because I'm a sidebar with you, but does that answer your question? It, it does. Thank you very much. Yeah, no worries. So I, I'll sidebar with you, and I, I'll put you back on hold. You can listen on the phone if you want to. It sounds like you might be out driving around, so if you want to catch it on the replay, you can. <clears throat> One of the reasons I asked him originally if he was interested in IP or <clears throat> just a, a just a, a regular analog camera system is in my house right now. We still have analog cameras, and there's a couple of reasons for that, and I'll go through them. The first is cost. You can buy a really good analog camera for 35 bucks or 40 bucks, so it means I can put cameras just about anywhere. The second thing that I do that I find to be really, really useful, and other people may not find it as useful, I like to take the camera, the output of the of the DVR, and I inject that into a uh, a, a channel modulator. So basically, channel 88 in our house shows the security cameras. And so any television in our house, even though we don't have cable TV, any camera in our house, I can tune to channel 88 and I can pull up our camera feed. And that is a feature that I have not figured out how to easily replicate um, with the IP camera system because, of course, it, I mean, I could, I suppose I could take a computer and capture that video output and then modulate that over the channel modulator or whatever. But uh, it, it seems like in the IP world, it'd be really nice to have those uh have those you know like a like a smart computer or a screen or a tablet or something that 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 pulls those up the problem is and this is really what keeps me off of the ip thing in my house and we put them in businesses all the time uh, we've got them here at ultra speed we've got ip cameras but that what keeps me off of the ip or the ip thing in my house is i just have this and it, it might be unwarranted i don't know I can think of ways to compromise an IP camera system. I can find my way in past routers, past firewalls. Uh, I don't. I don't care about your VLANs. I, I. You can. You can flood a switch with enough traffic that it will crash the switch. I've seen it done. I've seen demonstrations where you can crash the switch and it just turns into a dumb switch. Uh, there are ways to get around uh, certain types of protection. Good luck getting into my closed circuit uh, camera system at my house. You'd literally have to come into the house and splice into the physically tap vampire tap the wire there's no other way to get this i mean it's not transmitted anywhere it's not connected to the network in any way shape or form uh and and that just the peace of mind like i just would feel like i was always on display or i was always like i'd never know and i think that would just bother me and i'm just weird uh and that's probably a concern that 99 percent of rational americans don't have and i'm just weird that way and i admit that i'm weird that way so there's the uh, there's the rant that you didn't even ask for. Sean is calling from Virginia. Hey, Sean, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Oh, uh, thank you. And um, uh, can I just tie into one question that your previous caller had? Please. Do you record? Uh, are you recording? Uh, I don't care so much about what goes on inside, but the you know the outside of your house. Uh, do you record it, and how do you store it? Does no, that I make sense? no, like, I I don't, and I, I don't record it. And I'll tell you why. And again, <clears throat> this is again Noah's being paranoid and cares about things that ninety nine percent of normal human beings don't care about. Um, I don't mm -hmm. like the idea that my activities in my house, uh, or whatever it is that I'm doing, and it's not. It's everyone always jumps to what is he? What is he doing? Guy must do some weird things in his house that he's so worried about this stuff. It's not even about mm -hmm. that. It's the concept. I don't like the concept that if something happened to me, if I were to die, or if my family was, God forbid, something terrible happened to my whole family, we were to die, the first thing the police would do, undoubtedly, is they would go downstairs, take that hard drive out of the DVR, and they would go and play the thing back. And they, or whatever it was recording on, it doesn't have to be a hard drive, but they'd go take that footage, and my entire life, month worth of life, and you know, the thing is, 
the camera that we have here at UltraSpeed, we've got an eight terabyte drive in the DVR. I think that thing records for like nine months, ten months. I mean, it just it is a, mm. insane the amount of uh, the amount of time I can go back, and that's a thirty. Or I think it's fifteen frames per second. Um, but but to be able to go back and see everything somebody did, because if I if I'm put cameras in my house, I'm put them everywhere, so I can I can see when my in laws are in the living room, what's going on in the kitchen, what's going mm-hmm. on in the hallway, stuff like that. Obviously, you know, certain areas are inappropriate, but. For the most part, I got cameras everywhere, uh, and I just don't like the idea right. that there would be a record of everything. I, I just don't want it. So I and and the thing is, the reality is, like if you think about it, what's the advantage of recording? The advantage of recording is, in the event that somebody breaks into the house or burglarizes or something like that, then I would have a description for the police. Well, a couple of things. First of all, <clears throat> I live in a fairly uh, uh, how do I say, a, a nice part of town. And I also live in a tiny town of 50,000 people, so crime isn't really exactly prevalent here anyway. Uh, on top of that, uh, the only place I would record, even if I was going to record, would be the outside of the house. And there's really nothing. Mm-hmm. What's there to vandalize on the outside? There's nothing there. I mean, our cars are in the garage, and all my actual stuff that's important or expensive is inside the house, where I wouldn't even be recording. So I, it, it's to me, the the benefits don't outweigh the cons, and so I've just never done it. And again, I, I fully admit there's a bunch of people out there that are like, God, that guy, he is, he is, he is, uh, he's three screws short. And I admit that. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, personally, I'm doing my outside porch and my backside porch, and that's it, uh, 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 through another company. Uh, not that quite the one, but I will look into how you're doing here. It's very interesting. Um, to my questions, I had three. Uh, one, first of all, you know, with all this VPN or, or question about open you know, source and security, I noticed that you're using a particular product uh, called uh, My Private Internet, and uh, the and I don't know how you selected them. And in particular, I had posted a link in the chat room. Uh, like a, a website that seems to go through each one, you know, and varies, you know, this is good. This one's based in Sweden. That's not. Uh, my question is, with your, with your my private internet, uh, Peace of Mind has won some award from uh, two places, one in 2015 and one, I can't quite see the uh, year there. But do you use it on occasion for everything or... Uh, you know, how do you use your VPN? Does that sure. make sense? How, is it on every single box you have and all your information is being routed to it? Do sure. you turn it on just during specific times? I had a company, uh, and I have a company you know, for my virus software that sells one for, you know, 333, whatever it is, a month or something like that. But it's only for one person at a time at one desktop. And I didn't know how this one uh, matched up or how you did your choices. Secondly, that website that I put in the link, which is called uh, .net, uh, you know, does like 300. And, you know, they say, if I have it right, yours is coming out of Sweden. It's on 14 eyes. And it, is it, I don't even know what 14 eyes is. But, uh, you know, they're, the PGBK, you know, it, fly, it flies reds on it, certain things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm just curious how you chose that one. What were some of your considerations? 
Sure. That was my first question. Sure. Well, so let's say let's take them let's say, let's take them one at a time. So how, how the, so the the the, uh, the site you're referring to is privateinternetaccess.com, and if you use if you go to asknoahshow.com, use the affiliate uh, link there, then we get credit for uh, for letting them. Mm-hmm. You let them know that you heard about it on the Ask Noah Show, and they support us in that way, and so we're very thankful for that. Now, <clears throat> why did I choose private internet access? And mind you, I have been using private internet access long before this show was even uh, before even a thought. In fact, long before I even started uh, hosting last back in the day. So the, the 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 fact that I just wanted when we first launched the show, I looked for some of the things that I was like, what are the absolute necessary tools and services that people need to know about? And let's make sure we have a comprehensive list of those together. And when I reached out to the folks at Private Internet Access, they said, we'll give you a thing for your site and, and we can do an affiliate thing. And I said, sure, why not? Because <clears throat> it didn't hurt anything. But mm-hmm. why did I choose them? There are three things you look for in a VPN. The first thing is availability of exit nodes. So where is your traffic spinning out? Because there are different types of things you might want to accomplish with a VPN. Sometimes you just want to get around tracking. And so you want your track traffic to exit in like Sweden, for example. Other times you want to get around mm-hmm. content uh, blocking. So for example, there are specific shows that I watch on Netflix that when I'm traveling outside the country, I can't watch outside of the country. PrivateInternetAccess.com mm-hmm. allows me to connect into a U.S.-based uh, exit place and stream Netflix. Um, so that, that's the first thing: is how many exit things uh, do they have? The second thing is obviously, does it work on Linux? Is it cross-platform? Private Internet Access works on Mac, it works on Windows, it works on Android, it works on iOS, it works on everything known to man. They have everything from a <clears throat> dumb little script that you can download and double-click on, and it will just automatically configure your computer to use Private Internet Access when you start the the uh, the, the thingy. Or they have mm-hmm. step-by-step instructions on how you can manually set up a PPTP connection if you have older hardware that doesn't support the, the newer protocols, you don't want to deal with importing the certificate file and all that. Or maybe you're just the kind of person that just, hey, I don't know what that script does, and I don't want to run it as root on my computer. I want you to tell me what changes to make to my computer, and then I will research each into one of those steps. And if I agree with them, then I will do them. And they support all of that, which I think is fantastic. The third thing, and the most important thing, and the reason why, uh, ultimately, I have been a private internet access customer for years. They have a track record, a proven track record in court of going to court and saying, listen, we would love to give you all of the information, federal government, that you are asking. Uh, we would love to do that because we are sure that whoever it is that, that you have in here, I'm, uh, maybe they are torrenting stuff or maybe they are downloading this content, which we find objectionable or researching that, which we don't think they should or whatever. I'm, we would love to work with you. Here's the problem, guys. We don't have any logs. And then, you know, they get court subpoenas and all this stuff. And we're going to search your servers and we're going to go through all your equipment and we're going to find a Okay, go right ahead. Here you go. Have at it, us. Uh, have access. Yeah, there's really nothing here. Yep, there's really nothing here. We mm-hmm. don't have logs. And I have followed numerous cases of people that have gone to court that have used privateinternetaccess.com and their security holds up and their security practices hold up. And the fact that when they say they don't log anything and they don't keep any record, they mean it. When you sign up for account for an account, your name and nothing is tied to anything. You make a payment to their company. They reply with a generic username so it's like the p for private internet access and then a customer number so random digits of numbers and then a password Mm -hmm. at no time do you put an email in do you put your name in do you put your address in none of that uh it's come they they don't know who their customers are they just know that they received a payment to a given paypal address bitcoin address whatever and so then they sent a given 
username and password. And beyond that, and they don't even keep record of that, uh, except to authenticate and say, this particular user sent us more money, and so now we're going to re-up his thing or whatever. Uh, and so all of those things combined, to me, makes private internet access the best VPN company out there. Now, when do I use them? No, I don't use them all the time. There are people that, and it is possible to configure a microtech router to automatically dial into private internet access and funnel all of your internet over a VPN. And here's the thing. I don't have time for that. I need to be able to get stuff done. I have a very high pipe coming into my house and I need to be able to get stuff done. And that means that in 90% of the stuff, I don't care about putting through a VPN. So if I'm checking Facebook, if I'm checking Google, they know who I am anyway. I'm logged in with an account. I don't care about privacy at that point. And if I'm doing the Ask Noah show, why do I need to go over to a VPN and increase my latency and the delay and all that stuff? I don't. I just need to. I'm going on the Internet. I'm trying to get attention. Right. I don't care. And everyone knows who I am. That makes. And if I'm doing ultra speed stuff, same thing. I don't care. However, when I'm at a hotel, when I'm at a restaurant and I have some random Wi-Fi network, you would be shocked at what I can do uh, with the amount of power that I have, the position I hold with our company and our clients. Every single person that connects to any one of our wireless networks, I have the ability, not saying we've, I've ne never done this, but I have the power to go in, set up a management port on a switch and mirror every single piece of traffic that any given person connects to. And I can mirror all of those, those switch ports, uh, all of that traffic on that switch port. And, and, and so when you start looking at, at some of that stuff that, that, that I know that can be done, I don't want to be subjected to that. So if I'm doing any sort of uh, work-related things where I'm uh, working with customers' credit card information or I'm working with our internal database and stuff like that, all of that stuff I want sent over a VPN. And I we have two. So I, private internet access is kind of the... I just want to get online and I need want to make sure that my traffic is exiting somewhere and that this person, there's a tunnel between me and whoever's running this place. I use it for that. The other thing I'll do is obviously I'll VPN back into our office here if I need to access local office resources. Um, and uh, and if I'm traveling abroad, then I use it all the time for content uh, restrictions to get around content restrictions. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. Uh, I didn't know, if, like I said, if you used it continuously or... Just when you're banking or, um, and, you know, you said Facebook, you keep yourself completely open then. Uh, so that, that was the question. And does it, and I can always call the company here, I'm sure they'll answer, but does one account let you do multiple machines at a time or just single at a time, once at a time? Uh, uh, do, do you recall that? You well, said you had two accounts. So. I, no, I have one. I have one account. But the um, oh. there's, not, there's really no way that I'm aware of <clears throat> That they, uh, I mean, I, 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 I guess I've never, I, I guess I've never tried. Um, but I, mm. I, my assumption is that I can connect. I'll tell you this: all the VPNs that we set up, you could connect multiple. As long as you have a valid username and password, you could connect multiple machines. So I assume the same is true with private internet access. I have never actually tried it, um, uh, partly because yeah, I don't I leave it connected okay. if I'm not using it. Right. Right. No, I was curious if, if you could do it simultaneously, but uh, but that's great. That's great. I'll I'll look into that. I did send that link. I, I at least put it in the uh, chat notes. It's uh, just before your show started, so I don't. It has like all the list and who's read, who comes from Sweden, who does this and that. So that's interesting. My second question, but not taking too much time, was not at all. Linux Academy. Linux Academy, which I I've, I've been on for, and I've done two units. Okay, two videos. You know. So one of my questions is, and, and I don't know, do you contact them? You can get them to say, okay, uh, you know, they, they 
how you, you, you sign on, you use them. And, and I say, okay, reset. I've done four resets, starting to reset my class. <laughs> so <laughs> reset plans out and I'm already, so what I want them to do, yeah, and you can make them happen, uh, is to say, I'm starting and every time I do push the date further every day, I don't, uh, down the line every day, I don't show up. That's what I want them to do. But leading to that question is, Oftentimes you talked about getting that 70,000 K job, you know, and being there. I know enough about Linux to yes. do a number of things, but where would one focus? Um, is it the firewall world? I mean, clearly it would be great to get the intro to RHSA from Red Hat, you know, CentOS 7, Red Hat Linux. Where, where, where is that, that sweet spot? Is it the firewalls? Is it the uh, protection? Where is that sweet spot in terms of that 70K job? Learning to pull wires, you were talking about, uh, you know, Cat 7, Cat 5, drilling two holes. Is that part of it or not? Uh, yeah. Where is that sweet spot? Do you know? So, yeah, uh, well, uh, there's a couple different things. There's a there's a number of different ways you can crack that nut. So, yeah, cable pullers, uh, the guys that pull cable here, they are mostly high school students or uh, college students, and we pay them not very much money because it doesn't take a lot of skill or training to pull cable through a false ceiling. It's just, uh, I mean, and I'm, I'm very thankful for the people on our team that do it. I am not belittling them at all. They are, they... We could not do any of the rest of the stuff that we do if that cable didn't exist, and I don't have the time to go pull it myself. So my a huge hats off to David and Max and, and, and our entire team here that, that, that does pay, cable pulling. However, uh, I can find cable pullers easier than I can find people that can manage uh, network appliances and, and you know configure firewalls and stuff like that. So where is, where is the money? It, so the way I would answer that question is, where do you want to work? What do you want to do? If you tell me I want to go apply to companies and get a job and uh, and work at those companies and I want to make a lot of money, uh, not a, a lot of money, I guess, is you know subjective. But if you told me that, I would say look at system administration. System administration is one of those things where there are they're hiring more and more and more system administrators. And one of the interesting trends that we have seen is a lot of the clients that we used to work for where we would have a network engineer and a system administrator and we would send them both out to manage a larger job, especially if it was a large company, we are now seeing that those companies are asking more for system administrators and having those system administrators fill in for the network engineer's role. Part of that is the migration of network switches and network infrastructure to PC-based infrastructure and a Linux kernel. And so as you have watched that, transition happen, you have seen a lot of the network engineer's job move over to the system administrator's job. So if, you, if you're going to go out and work somewhere, go apply for a job at a company, I would tell you to look, concentrate on system administration. Now, if you told me I want to stay at home or I want to work from home or I want to own my own company and I want to do, I want to get involved with Linux that way, then I would tell you to look at uh, DevOps or, or software development. Software development, mm -hmm. software development, software developers who know what they're doing Maybe they have a project management thing on top of it. If, if, if who know how to do that stuff well, they're pushing seventy a year, eighty or ninety a year. If you go back a couple of weeks ago or a couple of months ago, we had a gentleman. His name was Ron uh, McMahon, and he was a guy who he was working at Walmart as a stock boy, uh, and he was a smart guy. And um, you know, he 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 said, you know, he's, I had a couple jobs in between there, but the reality was, is he had no real technical ex experience, and he just sat down and used sites like Linux Academy to better his knowledge on 
these technical things, and then he now he's making. I won't say exactly what he's making, but he's making a lot uh, more money than we're talking about, uh, and and mm-hmm. and that came from just a couple of months of grilling in his computer, and he's doing software in his case specifically database design, um, but it it stems from a so- an understanding of software development, and so just sitting down and 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 banging out fizzbuzz, you know, in a given language, and then going back and learning a different language. Uh, once you wrap your head around the, the the concept of software development, you can pretty much transition into any language. And uh, I actually had a, a close family member. Uh, was really interested in getting into software development a couple of months ago. And so I sat them down with a bunch of my friends that are in the software development community and just said, explain what it is, how to go forward, what do you do, what do you look for, what do you concentrate on? Every one of them gave the same advice. Don't worry about language, worry about concepts, worry about how to make something work, how to structure something. And actually, I've got another call in the queue here that I might bring him into this conversation because I know for a fact that he's a software developer and he might be able to add some insight to this. Hey, Darcy, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hello. Hey, do you have anything Sorry. to add? Do you, do you have anything to add to this uh, software development discussion and and uh, and how, how you can how you can best utilize your time uh, and maximize your ability to to bring an income doing it? So I think there is actually usually this high discrepancy between what actually is the task and what type of job you're looking for in software development. Because, okay, starting point, a lot of people think it's the code. I usually even say, as one of the things I do is mentoring people as well, uh, to actually with, with classes on programming, is being a good software developer is about 70% communication, 20% organization skill, and 10% is actually the act. The, the final skill set that you're going to be using on a daily basis, which is split between five of domain-specific knowledge and five of actual coding skill. The coding skill you're going to be using is the language. You know, the better you understand the language, of course, the better you're going to be able to output. But without being able to communicate well with requirements, communicating well with, with what you actually understand of those requirements to be with your customer, you're not going to be able to pull it off. And if you don't have organization to actually organize and structure what problems to solve first, you're not going to be able to solve anything at all as it doesn't matter how good you are with code itself. And then you actually will need to get that domain-specific knowledge. So if you don't know anything about the, the, the industry you're going to be working with, then you're not going to be able to use your coding skills either. Does that make, yeah. se- does that make sense to you, Sean? Yeah, yeah, yes, it really does. Uh, uh, it's very, having you know, been in the software development area for a long time, kind of stepped away from that area. Uh, for a while, and uh, let's just say I'm, I'm semi-retired, and I want to do something slightly different. So I'm kind of retooling a little bit, um, and, and and that is you know kind of where I'm kind of would like to focus a little bit more. Kind of the, the let's monitor a system, uh, you know, and move it through. Uh, so the the software, not engineering, but the administration sounds like uh, the 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 you know potential route. Yeah, yeah. Like you're maintaining it rather than building it uh, as a, you know, don't necessarily need to build the Eiffel Tower again. Yep, <laughs> so, yep, absolutely. There a little bit. Yep, and I thank you for the call. I would look into either of those two things. I think they will. Uh, I think they'll work out, play out for you in the end. At the end of the day, I'm just not a software developer. I just, I have too much of a need to be in front of humans, talk to humans. So I just can't do the whole sit in front of a computer and and bang out code. I, I want to go back to Darcy from Portugal. Uh, Darcy, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. 
Okay, so um, you I, have an in, you have an interesting you have an interesting perspective on this net neutrality thing because you're from Portugal. So for those that that aren't aware of what has happened, what is happening in Portugal, why, can you give us a recap? All right. So overall, um, internet neutrality was indeed passed through the European Union level. However, the national states are still adopting law, meaning in Portugal is not quite adopted yet fully to full extent. And so telcos actually have been using these loopholes that still exist to be able to bundle zero rated apps. Now, I personally have a stance on these zero-rated apps, but first I actually would like to hear what your thoughts are in specifically to zero-rated applications, because a lot of people talk about the, the fast lane, the slow lane, but I'm actually very interested in the zero-rated concept. Okay, so let's, let's, let's first let's explain what zero-rated concept ah. is. Zero-rated, for those of you that may not know, is this idea that a given service or partner does not count against your data allocation for what you pay for. And so, for example, if I had a if 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 I if net. Uh, Netflix comes to Verizon and says, we want to partner with you and um, you have a new smartphone or a better example would be YouTube because this actually happened. <clears throat> so YouTube comes to uh, one of these providers, I think it was T-Mobile and YouTube says, we want you to be able to sell more of your smartphones. And the problem that you have with selling your smartphones is it right now in 2007, 2008, whenever this happened, there aren't a lot of people that are, that really understand the benefit of a smartphone. And so well, it would be really cool because that particular smartphone has a really great camera on it. What if we set up a thing where we would give you, uh, we, we'll, we'll let you, you let your customers use our platform, YouTube, to make videos and our, we'll win because we're going to get a lot of people using YouTube over Vimeo because the YouTube doesn't count against their data allotment. And you're going to give people a reason to buy this brand new fancy smartphone with this really cool camera because they can make videos and post them online. And again, it doesn't count against the data allotment. And, and that is essentially kind of what we're talking about. Now, the proponents of this would say there are two businesses that are engaging in a mutually beneficial transaction. There's nothing wrong with that. The opponents of this would say... The problem is YouTube is, uh, let's say YouTube is so much bigger because of Google, and they didn't actually pay any money at, at this time. They just did it. But but let's just say YouTube, Google pays money to T-Mobile to make this happen. And let's say Noah starts the Ask Noah show. Let's say we start uh, Independent uh, Media Maker and uh, IndependentMediaMaker.com. We don't have the money to broker a deal with T-Mobile or Verizon or AT&T or whatever. So just nobody uses our video platform. Does that not give an unfair advantage to YouTube? Uh, and so we battle back and forth. But he, and here's... Well, good. No, it just... It just I, so with that perfect example you just gave, I don't see the difference between free shipping and this. Um, right. The company right. that has the higher profit margin, having that road path, being able to, oh, because I have a higher proximity to to you, I can actually do free shipping to you right. as a customer. So, so it feels right to me in terms of zero-rated notion. So let's let's back up and let's talk. Let, so let's break that down a little bit. <clears throat> so, it, it, I mean, without getting into a huge long explanation, in the data world, in the in the, in the big data world where you're dealing with ISPs and and uh, networks, and we deal with this all the time, uh, you there is no such thing as free data flowing from one place to another unless it's mutually beneficial, unless it, the both places are flowing data back and forth between each other. Uh, and that's not happening here with Netflix or YouTube or anything like that. We're not taking... Uh, YouTube isn't really contributing to Verizon's network. In fact, it's costing them. But let's just set that aside for a second. <clears throat> the big problem I have is there are these people and they are they mean well, 
but they it's a, it has to be an all or nothing for these people. And they'll come and they'll, they'll Facebook will say, we will partner with uh, providers to go provide Facebook in Africa where people don't even have running water and stuff. We'll make sure that they have access to Facebook so that they can keep in contact with the relatives and stuff like that. And there are uh, and I've seen it. There are these people that will come out and they'll say, no, if it's not dumb fiber that has no restrictions on it whatsoever, then it's bad and you can't do it because these people have to have fiber uh, right to their doorstep or just no internet at all. And that has always seemed like an unreasonable stance to take, that if you have if you have the option between having limited internet funded by a given social network or a given business who, yes, they have a motive for bringing internet there, and yes, it will be limited to that particular platform, but it's that or nothing, I'll take the thing. And I, I, and I, in that extent, and I'll give you another example, another analogy that we can use. City of New York uh, does not allow Walmart to operate inside of the city of New York. And Walmart has come and said, uh, one of the things is they're saying that inner city children need more nutritious food. And so we don't have any unnutritious, uh, we don't, well, all we have is, you know, is uh, the only thing they can afford is unnutritious food. So Walmart said, listen, we will come in and build a Walmart in the center of New York City and provide very cost-effective fruit and vegetables and stuff like that. However, uh, and then the city of New York comes back and they say, well, sure, that's great. And you have to do this minimum wage and you have to build it no bigger than this. And you have to employ this many Hispanics and this many uh, black Americans. And and all of a sudden, Walmart just says, you know what? Uh, that's not cost-effective anymore. Once we have to boil or dig through all of this minutia, uh, then it's, then we can't make a profit anymore. So no, just, I guess you're stuck with what you have. And it, it, it's, it's again, it's that all or nothing thing that is, that becomes very, very frustrating to me when you don't, when you're working for $9 an hour or $10 an hour, the dollar menu at McDonald's is your best friend. So when you stop McDonald's from building in these places, you're not doing anyone any favors. When you don't have any means of communic, any effective means of communication at all, because you can't even afford water clean water for your family facebook coming in and providing facebook for free even if it's not as good as you know a, you know a, a 10 gigabit f fiber line is still better than nothing mm -hmm. and, and so i don't think we can take those i don't I, I don't like the all or nothing approach at all does that answer your question well the, well kind of i still i still am reluctant on a little a little part issue here so for example in portugal we had no such thing as these plans until there was a discussion about net neutrality to mm -hmm. begin with it's only when they saw the discussions against net neutrality that they started implementing these um actual models for sure. for the packages yeah. for, the, for for the actual plans you could get so only when they saw the bad ideas they actually started implementing the bad ideas. Before yeah. that, we had no issues. So, for example, not all telcos are also implementing the measures equally. So, for example, one of them is going um, and actually applying just – they give you a plan. They, they don't actually have plans for, for apps. Mm -hmm. they, they, what they have is like a bundle that is cheaper for the apps traffic, but it doesn't discriminate what apps you're using. So, this is like just extra amount. So, let's say 20 gigs for apps and the rest is for normal navigation. These 20 gigs are now whatever app you want to use. Um, so, they're actually analyzing your traffic to know if it's an app or not, which sure. is another issue or not issue in your perspective there. And then there's another telco that even though they actually claim that they are just giving you the bundles and this is the only thing that is included in the bundle, actually they are monitoring um, the traffic based on the description or the, how the traffic looks like. So basically, the result is 
Plumble, when you connect to a Mumble server, actually doesn't count too because it seems the similar traffic uh, because of the Opus codec just as much as the uh, WhatsApp or Skype. So you basically get the zero rated to Plumble too. Right. So in that case, it would make all VoIP traffic kind of within the same spectrum and does zero rated as well. Right. So the argument for competitions feels a little bit odd to me when the zero rated is not. Um, in that sense. So there's actually another guy that you know, uh, Mitri, mm-hmm. where he actually brings up the point, should this be an issue of FCC or should this be an issue of FTC? Right. Yes. And, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to that. I'm going to get to that in a second. I just want to walk through this for, from the beginning. And, and I thank you for the call. But we're, I'm going to I'm gonna, I'm gonna actually cover that. Uh, and I have you on Telegram. So if you, I'll, I'll put you back on hold. You can, you can ping me if you have something else to add to the discussion when I, when I get through that. But basically, this discussion has been going on for 80 years, 90 years. Back in the 1930s, there was no requirement to broadcast a signal on the radio. And so anyone could just buy a transmitter, and a lot of people did, and just created a little radio station that served a community. And what happened was large business, large enterprise then petitioned the government to start regulating who could go on the air and at what power levels. And what we had was the formation of the FCC. And interestingly enough, now today, you have and this discussion continues. So the discussion is it, the, 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 what the argument against it was was if you don't have a regulatory agency, it's kind of what we're talking about today with net neutrality. What is to st- if I don't like what you're saying, what's to stop me from buying a bigger transmitter and with more power and turning it on and squelching you out so nobody can hear your message? And that's what I, I could do. So the argument is having the federal government in place actually protects the free speech because it it ensures that nobody can infringe on somebody else's rights. Well, what we saw over the next 50 years is a number of little tiny radio stations called pirate radio stations would pop up and start emitting a signal, an unlicensed signal. And then the federal government would go and shut these people down. And then the argument was, well, they're stopping free speech. They're not, everyone should have a right to be able to say something, especially in, in tiny little markets. And now nobody can say anything. And we are having that same discussion today. The problem is it, it, net neutrality is is way more complicated than anyone actually wants to acknowledge or give credit to. And when we start to break it down and talk about the realities and 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 the history of net neutrality, then we start to then we start to get a clear picture of what's really happening. So it goes back to basically prior to 1996 phone companies were not allowed by law to compete with with cable companies and so the problem with that is because they and, and again the rationale is well government has to step in and stop these phone companies from using their monopoly to take over the tv industry and so what you had was a lot of local municipalities giving essentially monopolies or grants to these cable companies to provide uh, broadband uh, and and at the, t- at the time we're not talking about broadband like as an in internet we're just talking about uh, the cable infrastructure to provide you know like network television and only in 1996 did we actually start letting telcos and uh, and telephone telephone companies and cable companies compete and the 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 core problem comes down to this idea of title II common carrier this idea that the federal government says the the best example i can think of is the railroad because there is only one set of railroad tracks you have to let anyone that wants to use them use them and that's kind of what we did with the telco industry uh, when the, when we when we let the industry control the government regulations that then they twisted to themselves because i'll let you in on a little secret 
businesses are not afraid of government regulations. Comcast, Netflix, uh, they are not afraid of government regulation. At the end of the day, that's just a check that they have to write to a politician and then they get what they want. I'll tell you what they're afraid of. Netflix is afraid of Jupiter Broadcasting. Uh, you know, Comcast is afraid of my local WISP. They don't fear the government. The government can be controlled. What they fear is competition because competition they cannot control. So if you can get the federal government to regulate the to, first step is to say the federal government can regulate the Internet. Now we can start paying politicians to start to start tweaking those regulations and maneuvering them to best suit the, you know, any big enterprise that has the money to write the check. The, the only thing that stood up. It, 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 the legislation that actually stood up on this entire conversation was the 2010 transparency legislation. And that was basically a result of a 2007 incident where Comcast intentionally was blocking torrent traffic. And then it came out that they were the, the best evidence that we have is that they not only were blocking the torrent traffic, but they were lying to their customers about doing so. Now, and this is what Darcy was was alluding to and what I wanted to explain before we got to that point. We don't need net neutrality to fix that individual issue. I'm not saying that there aren't problems with the internet and there aren't pro there aren't potential problems with companies abusing their monopolies. But in this particular case, the thing that we always go back to, you we could have used existing legislation under the Federal Trade Commission to say you at at a, at a bare minimum you lied to your customers. It, probably, realistically, had they done an investigation, they would have ultimately found out that what they were doing was unfair, not in the customer's best interest. And we already have agencies like consumer protection laws and antitrust laws that 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 could have stepped in and done something, and they didn't. And one of the issues with this is, if we go with this Title II common carrier thing, do you know who's exempt from uh, antitrust laws and consumer protection laws and FTC and all that stuff? You know who's exempt from that? Any sort of utility provider, common carrier. If we reclassify these people as Title II common carrier, they're no that you can't say that they are unlawfully competing because it's it's essentially it's a government picked monopoly. Then you have the problem that everyone goes to, and this is on that the John Oliver YouTube video that's all over the internet that. Netflix was slowed down because of net neutrality. Well, I have a link for you. I'll have it in the show notes. Uh, Dan, uh, forget his name. D Dan has a, the, the, a gentleman named Dan has it laid out perfectly that Netflix essentially was increasing their quality of their broadcast content and did not correctly anticipate the amount of new traffic it was going to bring in. And then when that back blew up in their face, then they said, well, it was Comcast that, 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 that filtered us and that's why Netflix was slow and it had nothing to do with that Netflix themselves we know now we can prove now Netflix could have fixed that problem there themselves so the so first let's start with this and I, I, I've seen in the chat room XMN is saying government pick monopolies are the worst I agree complete, it, it, it completely the, the first thing is that government once you involve the government and say that the government has the ability to control these things then we then competition is over. There, we, we, once that happens, there is no point in saying uh, you'll never have competition because you'll never have more than one carrier. That's a guarantee. That's We've seen that time and time and time again. Uh, the second thing is, if we're going to have a discussion about this, we have to get we have to get away from the emotional knee-jerk reaction and talk about these things in a rational, level-headed fashion and acknowledge that there is a lot of misinformation and, frankly, lies going on about what what is happening i'm not saying there aren't problems with the size and the push of comcast or netflix 
I am saying that we need that the examples that are being presented to us are completely factually inaccurate. And the problems could I can think of a solution to every single problem that doesn't involve putting the government in charge of regulating the Internet, because that is if you're supporting net neutrality, you're saying you support the government regulating the Internet. And here's here's one of the interesting things. The everyone the, the 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 discussion that we keep having is this idea that a bit is a bit. So a bit should just be treated as a bit, and there should be no prioritization, and and we should not allow companies to work out deals with other companies because a bit is a bit. But that's not true. A bit is not a bit, and we know that because we can go back and look at what happened with the airline industry in the in the 80s. They said a seat is a seat, and so the government will come in and decide what the price of a seat is and how what, what to fly the seat and how much you should charge for the seat and what things have to be provided to the seat and all of that stuff, and it was a catastrophic failure because at the end of the day, a seat isn't a seat. The reality is that airlines make their money in first class, and because they make their money in first class, the coach ticket, instead of being $900, is $200 or one hundred dollars. And the reason for that is because you have people up front paying twenty six hundred dollars, twenty seven hundred dollars to ride in first class. So the same thing is true on the Internet. If you have if you allow these companies to make agreements with Netflix or Comcast or what what have you, they ultimately have the ability to bring the cost down. And if we run into a problem, if you get to a point where you say, because I saw a thing and we got into this, I got a debate debate with a, a gentleman on Facebook. And he says, the internet's going to turn back into 56K if this thing passes. That's ridiculous. That is ridiculous. That's just stupid. You're not, we're, we're not having a discussion anymore. Now we're just spreading lies and deception. So if this happens, if something bad happens, let's, calmly and rationally look at that situation and say, what can we do about this specific situation? Because at the end of the day, what we're talking about doing right now, if we, if we allow, if we put title two in place and say that the FCC has the right to regulate the internet, we are giving the FCC a very, very broad brush to sweep and say, this is what's acceptable. This is not acceptable. And today they are saying yeah, we want to not prioritize traffic. Tomorrow, it may be an entirely different story. And so, and, and you know, it's funny is when you get into these discussions, and I've had a number of them over the week, both with clients, with people that have uh, called me on the phone to talk about it, people on social media. And the question that we eventually get down, once we, once we get through the minutia of it, and I start saying, okay, so this example, here's what's wrong with this example, here's what actually happened, and here's how we could have solved that without net neutrality. And you start parsing that down eventually what we get down to is well okay fine i guess i don't really have a good argument but 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 what's the harm in saying that all internet has to be treated what's the harm in that noah and my answer to that is that you are again you are letting a regulatory agency control a the, the last free place on earth the last place that anyone can just pop up and exist you are letting them control that infrastructure. You are giving them uh, authority to say, from now on, they get to decide what providers can do. And again, what that is today might not be what is tomorrow. And again, if you guys have questions on this, I'm going to check here. 855-450-NOAH. That's 855-450-6624. Uh, the email live at asknoahshow.com. I am a huge, and I, to a large degree, I I would love to just leave politics out of this. And I didn't bring this. This wasn't my original idea to bring this up on the air because I know that there's going to be half of you are half of you are are going to half of you will agree with me. Half of you will disagree with me. And I would like to just stick to topics that we all agree on. But 
a number of people have pinged me in the chat and said, would you please talk about this? It's a really important issue. And at the same time, when I go on YouTube and stuff, I have a very hard time finding the other point of view. I don't ultimately care what you decide. You can choose to say, I, I listen to Noah's explanation and I agree with him, or I, I don't like Noah's explanation and so I don't agree with him. Whatever you choose is fine, but I want to present both i want to present my, the the other side of it so you, you can make a decision um and there is a fantastic a fantastic gentleman um and i am we are trying to get him on the program we're going to try and get him here tonight and uh the the timing didn't work out and so if we can we'll take him uh tomorrow or uh, next week and and we'll talk about this but i'm always in favor of private industries competing and letting that sort itself out and i see in the next 5 years we are going to have more more competition in the ISP space, not less. Every time I turn around, there's another wisp that is popping up. Uh, it's just not going the other way. And uh, you know, and when when I look at some of the very unregulated places, like uh, the cell phone industry, it was not terribly re uh, regulated except for that they are tied to the telco place. Uh, it's some of the most it's some of the most innovative places ever. I mean, you have providers now these tiny little MVNOs that pop up that are offering phones for you know five ten bucks. I saw a homeless guy uh, just a week ago that was sitting on the corner. He's asking for money, can't afford food, but he's got a smartphone. You know, and and the reason for that is because you can buy that for five or ten. And so I don't buy this idea that if the government doesn't step in and 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 save us, that that it's a lost cause. The government didn't step in and pass regulation on shoes, and everyone on in their in and their brother can afford shoes. You can buy them for three dollars at Walmart, uh, you know. So I, I I don't buy that argument, and I and I I just it's interesting as we kind of look through this because again, what we are doing is we are giving the FCC a very broad brush to say that the what what is the standard it's the general conduct standard i think is what they're using and that seems like a very very uh, broad discrimination i'm going to take some of these calls i was uh, uh, oh there 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 it goes into the screening room i'm just going to put this guy cuz we're a little short on time so i'm, I'm not going uh, you're you haven't been screened yet but uh uh welcome to the ask noah show what's on your mind hi it's michael from text digital hey uh i was wanting to talk to you about the net neutrality thing sure uh because I, while you, uh, I agree you have some good points that necessarily regulation doesn't always solve everything, but what would you talk, say about the, the issues where we have an issue right now where 20 states out of the 50 already have state laws? that forbid new ISPs to even yes. compete. Yes, they do. And you know what's and you, you know what? That's a great point. So and what's interesting about that is we are fundamentally stopping uh, smaller ISPs from starting up. You're absolutely right. And on top of that, the the ISPs that do start up that are allowed to start up, we saddle them with so many fees and regulatory uh, fees and, and taxes and stuff like that, it makes it almost impossible. In fact, one of our clients is a telco and he was talking about how his profit margin is just is just a really difficult thing lately because everyone is using Viber and WhatsApp and Telegram and Skype to make calls and they're not a telco because somehow if you put your voice over the internet and it goes through those kind of wires instead of the regular telephone wires then you're not a telco and so they don't have to pay those regulatory fees that he has to pay and it's it's killing his profit margin and so that you're absolutely right. But again, that's one of those things that I think uh, we need to get, talk about less regulations, get the local legislation out of there. Mark, uh, I got about a minute. Go. Okay, real quick question. How do you feel about how this particular discussion that you're having right now involving net neutrality is going to actually affect just about everyone else? Because the moment that the rules go through inside of the United States, 
it's then going to affect any traffic that comes into or out of the United States. Hmm. So you're saying like if you're in Canada and your downstream provider, upstream, Which I am. yeah, and your your upstream provider is like level three here in the U.S., then any traffic that is throttled here is going to affect you guys in Canada. Yeah, because we already have the whole issue with Netflix with the two different ones for Netflix Canada, Netflix United States. What happens if all of a sudden they're just like, hey, you know what? We don't feel like letting Canadians watch that particular program anymore, even though it's on this particular server. What do we do then? We don't actually have a say in that. All of a sudden, like something that we've paid for, we can't get access to anymore. Yeah. I, I don't have all the answers, and unfortunately, I'm up against my, my top-of-the-hour music. I guess what I would say is the answer, hopefully, is that these uh, services would do what's in their best interest. Thanks a lot for tuning in. We'll see you back Monday. You're listening to KEQQ 88.3 LPFM.